Welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word, the podcast that empowers you to say fuck being fine. Tired of being stuck in a place where you say everything's fine, when it's really not fine at all? You're not alone. I'm your host, Lori Seitz. I've been there too, and so have my guests. Here's a secret. All it takes is a conscious decision to change and then restructure beliefs so your actions take you in the right direction. That's where Fine is a Four-Letter Word comes in. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories from people who have transformed their lives and businesses and practical tips and takeaways to move you from spinning in place to forward action so you can create a life of joy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Imagine for a moment being a child and knowing something was wrong, but being too young to understand. Now, picture yourself in a cult without knowing the word for it. That's what happened to Sally Lotz. Until she was four years old, things seemed normal. Then her parents divorced, her dad left the picture as he served overseas in the military, and her mother took Sally and her siblings to a new city. Suddenly, everything changed. Instead of having freedom to explore, now all her decisions were made for her. How she dressed for school and which classmates she was allowed to interact with, meaning none of them. Her role was to do only what others told her to do. Sally knew something wasn't right. One of the first clues came when she buried a butterfly she believed was dead and then unburied the soil later and found the butterfly was gone. If there was no heaven, as Sally was told by the cult, where did the dead butterfly go? Her new stepfather abused her in every horrible way imaginable. And her mother accused her of being a bad influence moments after her stepdad kicked their cat across the room. Gosh, I can't even. On top of that, she was told there was no way to prove it even happened because she didn't have two witnesses to back her claims. Ironically, the people who caught Sally making out with her high school boyfriend didn't need two witnesses. All it took was their word, and Sally found herself facing a perverted, sexually charged interrogation by multiple adult men. Sally soon left the cult and joined her father, who was now in San Diego, where she went straight from having to follow rules for everything to no rules at all. She finished school, tried college, but it didn't work out. She went back to what felt familiar and found a man to take care of her. They married when she was only 20 and had three children. Despite all that had happened up until then, Sally's life seemed to be improving and everything seemed fine. But fine is a four-letter word. She found that out when her husband joined a cult similar to the one she'd been raised in and all the same rules suddenly came back into play. She divorced him, but then her mother, who had not left the cult, came to stay with her. In a moment, when you meet Sally, you'll join her on her journey down a winding road with double backs and wrong turns as she comes to cope with two traumas, the trauma of an abusive home and religious trauma. These two things have fueled her career as an author, writing coach, and mentor. Her fourth book, The Truth is a Lie, is a young adult novel based on her life growing up in a cult and aims to help others understand and gain strength. Like Sally, you may have been so immersed in your situation that you can't possibly see a way out. 
How do you take a step back when you don't know which way to turn? At some level, you know you need to assess things from a new vantage point, but how? The first step is to go to zenrabbit.com right now and download the five easy ways to start living the sabbatical life guide. Once you read it, you'll be able to understand and embrace things that up until now have not made sense to you. It's only seven pages, so it won't take you long to get through. And the five tactics are pretty simple. But once you follow even one of them, you're in for a profound change. When you're ready to say fuck being fine, then this guide is the place to start. It's time to blaze a new trail and chart a new course. Now let's go meet Sally. She's waiting for us so we can begin our walk together. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Sally Lotz. Thanks to Dave Hauser, a past guest, for introducing us. Welcome to the show, Sally. Thank you. I always start out with the question of what was what were the values and beliefs that you were raised with that contributed to you becoming who you became as a young adult and who you are today? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a loaded question. Yes, it um, is. Because we're going to find out about that. Um you know, I, I grew up in a very strict household with a lot of rules, uh, but I've never been a rule breaker. So I kind of think that's inbred in me. Uh, so I don't know. I want to give too much away. <laughs> no, I mean, we're here to talk about it. There's nothing. There, it's all going to come out. So tell, it's all going to come out. I mean, you can start at the beginning, but what were, um, yeah. So what were some of the rules and do, you just accepted them? Uh, the the rules were basically every decision and choice in my life was decided for me. I had no choices. So that included my clothing, to my books, to my TV shows, to what I did on Saturday morning. Um, so for me, not being a rule breaker, it was very difficult um, to live that life uh, where every choice was made for me. Um, you know, now as an adult... I, I feel like I'm a balanced adult because I have, I don't have those kind of stringent roles. Um, but so I feel comfortable how I live now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do have some, I do have some strong values um, that I'll never swerve away from. I'll never, you know, I'm non-judgmental of other people in their choices. Um, I never told my kids what they needed to believe and what they needed to do when they grew up. I let them make those choices themselves. So, uh, yeah. So, so share a little bit more because I know how you grew up, <laughs> but share with the audience how you grew up and why those rules were imposed the way they were. I'm a writer, so I like to leave a little suspense. I like to, yeah. Myself. So, I'm leaving that <laughs> little suspense there. Uh, so, when I was six, my mom converted to uh, becoming a Jehovah's Witness. And also at the same time, um, she had just gotten divorced and she was now living with this man um, who will later become an integral part in my uh, life in a bad way. Um, But the cult um, shifted my life from being this kid who could play outside and go and do things and have fun and watch whatever she wanted on TV, you know, eat what she wanted, do whatever, but, you know, within the realms of. You know, sure. Still having a parental control and siblings. 
family, friends. I'm going to go out, out that far. Two, school. You, can, you can't talk to anybody at school. Um, Saturdays, we're going door to door, and you have to go. Knocking on doors. No more birthday, no more Christmas, no holidays, no Halloween, no Mother's Day, nothing. Also, you must dress this way. You can't wear what you want to wear. No jeans. Um, you have to wear dresses and you have to wear this and that. And your my hair was decided upon. Every choice was picked for me because it was a form of control to keep me um, conform to that to that cult. If okay. I started thinking outside those bounds, yeah. you know, you might reject what they were teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So many questions. First of all, <laughs> this man was in the Jehovah's Witness. That's why your mom joined? No, he was not. They were living together. And um, I'll say that um, I was child number five. This was my mom's third man in her life. Okay. Um. Yeah. Okay, how many siblings? So you have five. Are you? Were there more seven. after you? Seven now. I have. There's. Uh. There's eight of us all together. So I have seven siblings. Yeah. Okay. So there were four. Four other siblings when she went into the cult. Yes. Okay. Yes. And what happened with your father? My father. Um. Like, was, was he still Navy. part of your life? He. He was and he wasn't. I was, my parents got divorced when I was like three or four. I was very young. Um, my mom sent my brothers to live with their dad. So it was just me and my older sister. And we're only about a year apart. We have okay. different dads. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and this was in the 60s. So this was not yeah. a good situation, right? My father was in the Navy. He was deployed. It was Vietnam. So he was not home. Um, he was not around, not mm -hmm. by his choice. Um, back then, you know, mom's taking care of the kids and he was in the military. So I, my dad was not part of my life other than letters and presents from foreign countries. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So, so she hooks up with this guy and she joins the cult. Yes. She joins the cult. Uh, we had just moved to a new town. We moved to Chicago, actually. And our neighbor lady came over and was talking to my mom. And, you know, she could see she's got little kids in the house, you know. Um, and I don't know how the conversation went because I was very young. But right. I do know that she was told that she was going to see her mother again. If she wanted to see her mother again, there was a there was a way she could do it. Now, my mom's mom happened to pass away when my mom was really young. She was like six. And so this cult lady kind of like said, oh, you've got little children here. Wouldn't you like to see your mother again in paradise? You know, that could be your life. Mm. And so my mom just, she yeah. went from this life of how much she had messed up with the men and having kids and having no, no parents to, oh, this sounds great. Yeah. Now instant family. Like Instant a community, family. a community that would take care of her. Yes. And this lady love bombed us. She did. She was our next door neighbor and she would come over with stuff, cookies. Uh, she'd bring her teenage daughter over. They brought me books and Barbie dolls that were no longer wanted. And so like we had all this stuff now all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, and you mentioned that it they you were like told how to dress. Were you in public school? Yes. Mm-hmm. So you went to public school and you had to wear what they told you to wear and not talk to any of the other kids. Yeah. I had to wear what my, now I, not all of Jehovah's Witnesses are restricted to my mom, but most of them have a code of dress that needs to be very um, modest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, this is your clothes, you know, that's what you're wearing. You don't mm-hmm. get any choices. Got it. Especially when you go to the kingdom hall. Or you're going out in service, which is the door-to-door work they do. You have to be dressed specifically to honor Jehovah. That's what they say. Okay. So how long did that go on before you, obviously, because you're not in it anymore. What transpired in between that, uh, you know, joining it and you leaving it? Leaving. And and what, what, what inspired you to leave? I figured out really early on within the first year that this was a bunch of bull crap because I had to hear my mom tell at this time she was still, it was in the process of converting. So I, I had some friends at school and this little boy, Paul, his mom called me up and said, Hey, can Sally come to Paul's birthday? My mom reamed this lady. No, she doesn't do birthdays. Jehovah, we're Jehovah's Witnesses. We don't celebrate birthdays. The birthdays are of the devil. And I sat there and I just shrunk. I was like, you had to like talk to her that way. And I was like, now I'm going to be like the outcast. You know, right. like I'm oh the only gosh. one not going to the birthday party, you know. So that was like my first experience of like, is this what it's going to be like? You know, Jehovah hates birthdays. I mean, birthdays are fun, right? And then Christmas rolled around and it was like, no, no Christmas. Um, And then even when she told me, hey, we're going to go to the kingdom hall today because it takes a while. You don't just they just don't let you go. It takes it probably takes six months to a year. And I was excited because I thought, oh, we get to go to church. And I'm picturing this, you know, little gloves. That's back when you were gloves and hats Uh and, you know, music and stained glass and just like. (laughs) no that's not what it was it was a cinder block building with bars on the front and it was one big room with folding chairs and I was like wow disappointment you know for a six-year-old um but yeah it all those things kind of like set the stage for me of this this isn't right um I had an experience I don't know if I told you about my butterfly experience um where I found a dead butterfly out in the park and I tested Jehovah because Jehovah doesn't believe in heaven. Jehovah believes when you're dead, you're dead. And uh, I I buried the butterfly. And I said, God, if you're real, I know I'm going to unbury this butterfly and it's going to be in heaven. Then I go, Jehovah's real. It's going to be there. And so I I buried it and I put like a little stake and then I counted down and I, I unburied it and it was gone. And so that in my head was like proof, positive. Wow. Yeah. And that's why I have the butterflies on my wrist. But um, that was my proof positive that Jehovah was not alive. At six years or old. Or Jehovah was alive. Yeah. At six years old. Fast, fast forward. I'm still in this home, but it's a very abusive home. My stepfather was emotionally, mentally, and sexually abusive. 
My mom was mentally and emotionally and physically abusive. Um, And you would think being in this new cult uh, or religion, as they call it, that they would want to clean up their lives and serve Jehovah and do things right. But this cult protects the predators and the people who do harm. And the victims have no voice. And they are the ones who get punished so it's kind of like if a woman is raped, she's told it was her fault because mm. of what she was wearing. If a woman is beaten by her husband, she is told it's because she hasn't done enough for him. She's not spiritually close to Jehovah. Um, she needs to do better. Uh, she, you know, it's it's all the victim blaming and and shaming the victim while holding up the predator. It even goes to such extremes as. They have something called the two witness rule, which is, so I'm a, I'm a child, right? And um, I'm going to give you an example of somebody I know, but I'm going to say myself. Um, her uncle was raping her. She was 12. She went to the elders and said, hey, this is happening. And they said, where's your witnesses? You're, you could be lying because you don't like your uncle. You probably came to us to tell us that because this and that. And she insisted, no, that it was true. She was then, because she was the age of being baptized, she was then publicly told from the pulpit, don't talk to her anymore. She's disfellowshipped. She's not close enough to Jehovah. She's not relying on Jehovah. They never say why. But then the uncle was allowed to go free because he just said he was sorry and they said okay well we'll have some studies with you and we'll yeah and that's a very common story very common story so for me and my sister um my sister was sexually abused by my stepfather um she went and did that to my mom and i told my mom some things he'd been doing um to me it was more um exposing himself mm-hmm. because I also I had a big mouth and I would say things like get out of my room you know in my yeah yeah okay. <laughs> so I wasn't a, I don't want to say my sister was an easy victim but I was not an easy victim right so, right so I was like okay go away from her she's she causes too much trouble and I said yeah that's what he does here I'm like nine or ten and my mom went to the elders by herself and said hey what do I do I need counsel well she didn't have any witnesses she didn't bring us and so they told her to rely on Jehovah. She needed to be a better wife. She was obviously doing something wrong. She was strong enough in Jehovah. And obviously her children, she wasn't teaching them and training them right. And so my stepfather, the pedophile, um, wife abuser, animal abuser, you know, you name it, he did it, um, was just allowed to go scot free. So for me, that was like, this is a bunch of lies. Um, when did I you was learn 15, though, go ahead. I, I don't. Did you learn no, no, from that that you couldn't trust adults or couldn't trust? Like, like, did this create trust issues for you? Um, no, it created in me um a deep sadness that I mm. couldn't have a mom who took care of her children. I needed that nurturing parent and it wasn't there. It was like, 
basically like, screw you, I'm on my, you know, you guys are on your own. And I wanted that mom to be the one to take care of me and do what she needed to do. Right. You know, get up and walk out of the house. But yeah. she never did. Mm. And she still denies to this day that she's done anything wrong, which is heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I had some very trusted adults in my life who were not Jehovah's Witnesses. I had some very good teachers. And I had, um, I did have my dad. And I had, I was allowed to spend some time with him at my aunt's house. Um, and so I had a couple of aunts who I trusted. But it was mm. very short periods. We're talking like three days out of every two years. Wow. But that was enough for me yeah. to hang on to that. Um, but when I was 15, I, I had a boyfriend who was not a Jehovah's Witness. And boyfriend. We walked the hallways together in school, okay? We had classes together, you know. We may have done some kissing out, you know, behind the goalposts. But I never got to go on dates. I never got to go anywhere. I didn't get to go to the dance. Um, I met him at the library, you know, behind the, the stacks, right? Uh-huh. Um, so somebody snitched on me. And here, in this case, there was no two witnesses weren't needed. Somebody just snitched and said, hey, I saw her with the boy. And then it was like, oh, oh, whoa. Right. <laughs> you got to get her. They brought my mom, took me into the elders. It's 15 and three men questioned me, sexually explicit questions, wanting to know every detail of what I'd done with this boy. Like, you know, did you have penetration? What? I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Right. Did you let him touch this? Did you do this? You know, there were things I was like, uh, we just held hands in the hallway, dudes. I don't know why you're yeah. asking me all these questions. And then I, in my head, I'm like, why do they care? What's the big deal? What What about my stepfather? Did you ask him what he did? Yeah. No, you didn't. You never even talked to him. You just, you know. So I was done. I was like, okay, I'm done with this. I got to get out somehow. Um. So when I got home, my mom said to me, she goes, okay, so now you have to choose between Jehovah and that boy. And I was like, the boy, mom, I'm choosing the boy. <laughs> and she right. kind of just went, her face like dropped. She got really pale and she's like, okay, well, she tried to give me a scripture to read. And I said, I'm not reading that. I go, I made my decision. And um, she goes, well, you can't stay here because you're a bad influence on your younger sisters. And I'm thinking to myself, you have a man in this house who literally just kicked the cat across the room. Oof. And I'm the bad influence. God. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, I was able to go and live with my dad. There was a time, time a gap in there because he was at sea. He was deployed. Um, so that meant my dad had to get a new assignment where he wasn't going out to sea, right? Um, so nobody talked to me for like three weeks. And then I moved to San Diego. I'm 15. Never been, never lived with my dad. Never spent more than four or five days with him. And I'm just plopped down into San Diego with no rules, you know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you go from like was scary. a rule for everything to complete freedom with no rules as a 15 year old, like how do you even navigate that? And, and in a new environment and what, and I, yeah, go ahead. 
I was like, I even had a TV in my room, which was like, I, I can watch TV at night. <laughs> whatever yeah. I want on this little TV, whatever I want on those three <laughs> channels we had. I know. I was like, move the antenna. Okay. I got yeah. Benny Hill. I was like, what is this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was a challenge for me um, emotionally and mentally because I never, it was a new environment. Yes. But, and I'm a happy, outgoing person, so I assimilated into the school and tried to make friends for the short time that I was there because it was the middle of my senior year of high school. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. So now you're out of the cult. You're a young adult. What is, like, at what point, like, how did the rest of this play out into you becoming who you are now? Because obviously everything was not fine. No, in that situation. it was not fine. It was not fine at all. And then I yeah. buried it all and said, I'm fine. Let's go. Yeah. I'm not looking back. This is my life now. I want to do this and this and this. I started junior college and found out, you know, I am dyslexic and I have ADHD and that's when I found out that school was really rough for me. Um, I never noticed it before because I always tried to stay hidden at school. And I mm -hmm. went to four high schools, three junior highs, and four grade schools. So I never really knew how education affected me. I never knew about education. It also was a, a thing. I mm -hmm. wasn't supposed to be educated. So right. I, I skated by. So I, di I didn't go to college. Because it was too much for me and I didn't, I didn't cope. I didn't know. I didn't know I could probably go and talk to a counselor and like right. they could help me with some classes that would get me going. Um, and of course I buried everything from my past. Just, um, so of course then I, I decided it was a good idea to get married, um, at age 20. <laughs> right. Because you're looking for stability. I was looking for stability and I knew I, in my head, that's what it was drilled into my head. You needed a man to take care of you, somebody, you know, to be the, the head of the household and you do your thing. Yeah. So, so coming me, back I, to the values that you were raised exactly. with. Yeah. Yeah. But all for me, what I really wanted was a family, but I wanted a normal family. I wanted mm -hmm. a family that had holidays and did things together. You know, like I wanted that, you know, that Hallmark card family. Right. Yeah. I wanted three boys. I have three boys, which I'm thankful for. Um, I just chose the wrong person to have them with. <laughs> well, again, because, because all of place. your role models were such that, how would you yeah. choose differently? I had one good role model, which was my dad, but I didn't have any time with him. So I didn't right. get to assimilate that and understand yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I got married young and around like age 29 so I had three little kids my I had my kids by the time I was 26 um my ex-husband at the time started going to a church that has now been identified as a cult it's the same one the Duggars went to which if you watched that yep. yeah ex, I haven't that watched it but I know on, mm -hmm. okay so he came home you know decided one day we're not having Christmas and I was like uh no no, 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 no. We're not doing this again. I've been the red there. flags. The yeah. red flags started flying. And uh, that actually sent me into 
a state of depression and anxiety so bad that I couldn't leave the house. Mm. I never dealt with my past. I just went fine forward, like, here yeah. I go, I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, So that was my point, my start of discovering um, that I needed to heal and I needed to figure it out and I needed to move forward. I needed to get rid of that baggage I was carrying around and um, hiding. <laughs> I should say I was hiding it under the bed. Yeah. Um, and as I was healing, my ex-husband was not liking me because I was not the subservient wife. I had opinions now, even though they weren't bad. You know, right. It's just like, oh, you yeah. you have a voice? No. You, you can't say. I mean, he would say things to me like I would go to the grocery store and I would say, hey, the kids are in the house. Three little boys under the age of eight. Right. I'm going to the grocery store. And he would say, well, I'm not your babysitter. Wow. And so the point was, I'm supposed no, to take all the right. kids with me you're to the grocery store. No, you're right. You're not the store. babysitter. You're their damn father. That's, and that's what I said. <laughs> and he didn't like that. So um, that was the beginning of the end yeah. for that relationship. And um, I ended up, um, I ended up moving back to California at this time. We lived in Florida, and um, I'm working a lot on myself. And that's why I started writing. And um, just started that healing process of understanding the past. Um, but I still didn't deal with, I dealt with the, the, I have two traumas. I have the trauma of an abusive home and I have the trauma of, I have religious trauma. I have both. I dealt with the only the religious part. I okay. didn't deal with my stepfather and my mom. Yeah. That took years that took years until I finally figured it out. <laughs> and did that did that healing come from counseling, from journaling, from like what were the tools that you used to work so through and find it's healing? It's actually a roundabout way because I'm a writer and my kids, my kids, my writing friends said I needed to write about this cult that I grew up in. And I was like, I write for kids. I don't want to write this story. The kids don't care. And they're like, yes, they do. So I started writing it and I wrote my first draft and they're like, this is a very angry. Is this really your mom? And I said, yeah, that's my mom. They go, is that really your stepfather? I go, yeah, that's really my stepfather. And now talking about it, it kind of makes me cringe. And they're, you know, they, they said, this is really, did you, I mean, they started questioning me, like, have you had counseling for this? You know, Mm. it's like. Well, yeah, but then I started thinking about it. No, I had religious trauma. Um, and then I re- started revising it again. And then I started getting to this dark place. And I should say my mom was living with me at the time, by the way. Oh, my gosh. I was I taking can't. care of her. Oof, she had a room in my house. She didn't know I was writing this book. And I started to have days where all I was doing was crying. And just I was having like flashbacks. And I called the therapist and the first thing she said was your mom has to leave the house and I was like okay my you know you asked me about you know up front you know what my belief system was my belief system is as a Christian woman that it's my responsibility to help where I can with my parents mm-hmm. you know, my father's passed away but my mom's you know my mom needs help so I have a room um 
And deep down too, I think I wanted her to still love me. Yes. You know, right. Be because parent, you said earlier, you were, you were hoping to find a mom who was she caring. She never and, has. Yeah. 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 She never was. She never is. But, um, so at that point, um, I did start some journaling and I did some heavy duty, um, PTSD, um, um, therapy where they did some, we did some treatments. I forgot what it's called, but it's with eyes and hair. Oh yeah. Uh, EMDR. Is that it? Yeah. And yeah. And she actually took me back, um, to some childhood memories that I had forgotten about, um, that brought up some memories that I was able to clear out and get rid of and understand and change my, change my viewpoint, change my frame of mind. And, um, and so after that, I was in a much better place. I was like, okay, I get it. So I did finish writing the book. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Um, and I, I don't really, I don't have a relationship with um, my mom. I call her now and then or talk to her now and then, but that's it. Is she still you know, even talking to my siblings? Oh, yeah. Okay. Most of my family still is. It, yeah. uh, your siblings are too? I have two siblings who are not. Okay. Yeah. So the rest of them are. And they all deny to this day that my stepfather was a, a pedophile, an abusive man. Wow. They're like, no, we're, li- we're relying on Jehovah. Even my sister who I know he did terrible, awful things to, still strong, mm. going strong wow. in the cult. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, that's the power of beliefs. Yeah. And that's what I can't come to grips with. How can you have something happen to you like that? And you're just told you, you I mean, after all this time, and you're told that it's your fault that you were molested. And they let this man go. How can, how can you, I don't know how my sister can come to grips with that in her head. So thank God. I, I guess that's my values. My, the, the bred into me, my, my thinking system, but I just, it never made sense to me. Yeah. And I always stick up for myself. I always stick up for the underdog. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. What, uh, so you're writing, that was your first book. And then do you, you still write children's books? Is it a process? I do. Of... This is actually my fourth. That's my fourth book. Coming. Yeah. That's coming out. Um, soon. No, the truth is the lies. My fourth book and it came out in oh. May of this okay. year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So the, the truth yeah. is a lie is the one that you were writing about the cult and all of that was yes. the, the catharsis. So the, this... Yeah. But it was your fourth yeah, book, they not call your first. Themselves Got it. The truth. Yeah, they call yeah. themselves the truth. Yeah, it was a process because COVID happened, and um, my publishing career with my agent kind of came to a halt. And so after COVID, um, I ended up doing it as a self, as an independent published book mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. through my agent, which is what I had planned originally. Um, but yeah, it took a while. It How? Took a while. How can somebody get their hands on that book? Well, The Truth is a Lie is available on Amazon. It's available at Barnes & Noble online, Kindle and paperback. If you remember my name, sallylots.com, you can go to my website and there's a link there. Okay. And you can get an autographed version too if you want through my website. 
Cool. It, and so this is a, a book for children? So it's a young adult novel. So that's ages 15 and up. Okay. Um, but I have a lot of adults who've read it. I've had teachers who've read it. And it says that has made me very aware now of the children in my classroom, of yeah. what they're going through, what they might be going through. And, and um, most people read it in one sitting. Um, I've had people read it twice. <laughs> so, young, yeah, young adult. But um, I don't think, you know, I think if somebody, a parent wants to read it for their kid first to see if they think it's appropriate, um, that's fine. There is um, sexual abuse, emotional abuse in there, but I don't actually go into any of the acts themselves it's mm -hmm. talked about. But I don't, I didn't want to put that in there, that act of violence in there. Because right. I didn't want to make it about that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and then what are you doing outside of writing? Are you, I mean, not that you have to be doing something. I didn't mean to say it like, what else are you doing? <laughs> like, there's a lot. But well, I guess what I'm asking is, are, you out, are you out speaking and, and like, where are you, are you helping other people? Um, in because you said that protecting the underdog or helping the underdog yeah. is important to you. Yeah. So is that part of what yeah. you're doing in your life now in addition to the writing? Interesting question because all my books have like the underdog theme in them. Um, I do share on TikTok. Um, I do talk about growing up in this cult and what it's like um, so people can understand. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, um, do podcasts like this. Um, I am a writing coach, book coach, and that's one of the things I like to do is help people to tell their story in a way that is unique to them and can get it out into the world if they need to. Um, it doesn't have to be as dark as my story. Um, but sometimes you just have that desire to tell it and there's different ways you can tell it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I want to point out here that, you know, you're talking about trauma and the traumas that you've had in mm -hmm. your life. And we've all had trauma. It's not a, a comparison yes. game of like mine was no. worse than yours because every Correct. person as a human has trauma. And I can imagine that the writing about it and telling your story helps you process it. Correct. Correct. And I wrote mine to help others. I didn't necessarily write it for myself. It happened to be helpful to myself, but I wrote it for others. Yeah. I Well, again, I can't imagine that the writing process that would, or the, the book or the, the end result that's helping others would not also help you as the writer. Correct. Yeah. yeah because I've had people reach out to me and they've, they've said, this is my life exactly when I was you know, in this cult, mm -hmm. or now I understand about, you know, my uncle and my nephew and my niece, why, you know, they couldn't leave and why they never talked to me, um, you know, and, and then people will give me like, I have a list of people who will tell me, you know, my brother was in the cult and he committed suicide because he tried to leave and couldn't. I yeah. have these long lists of people who are saying, Hey, this really helped me understand, uh, and so I appreciate that when people say that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you're right. Everybody has trauma is trauma and it's it's yours. And it, you know, I don't mean to diminish anyone's. anyone's no, and I didn't get the feeling you know, that you were doing at that. all. 
Yeah, I didn't get the feeling that yeah. you were doing that. I just wanted to point out for listeners, like everybody has their thing. And so you're yeah. you helping people to tell their story is yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's the thing. Somebody's told me, well, my story isn't as, is like yours at all. Right. And I said, well, I said, but you had trauma. You had, you had something to overcome. Um, you needed support and it wasn't there or whatever the story was. I said, it's, it's just, it's too different. It's all, but still yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, every good Hollywood movie has that story of the hero's journey, right? And yeah. That the reason that resonates with people so much is because we all have, we're all on our own hero's journey. Exactly. Exactly. And, and as a writer, my hero is on their journey. They get all kinds of stuff thrown at them as they're trying to climb that hill to safety. It's yeah. just a continual barrage of, of things coming at them. And then my reader cheers them on because they succeed. They're like, oh, they made it to the next step, you know? So, and that's life, you know? Yeah. You're going to be going good. And then all of a sudden, someone's going to come at you and it's like, how do you deal with it? How do you right. handle it? You know? Yeah, Is absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, before we wrap up, you've already shared how people can get in touch with you. Which leaves the one and only last question, which is, what, what's your hype song? I know what it is. I know what it is. She's already dancing in her seat over here. What's it's your... it's uh, This Girl is on Fire by Alicia Keys. Good one. Followed up closely by Love Shack by the B-52s. But This Girl is on Fire. I yeah. can go over here and sing that. I love that song. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Sally, on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Thank you for having me. My I'm, pleasure. And thanks, Dave, for introducing us. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And as always, the links to get in touch with you and to listen to your hype song will all be in the show notes. Yay. All right. Take care. We'll see you next time on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Sabrina Victoria talked about having grown up in this same cult in episode 49. It's still difficult for me to even imagine being in a cult and not getting to celebrate holidays, make friends with classmates, or participate in activities. Here are a few of my top takeaways from this conversation with Sally. Number one, as human beings, we have an innate sense that tells us when something doesn't seem quite right. This is called your gut feeling like the one Sally had when she saw the dead butterfly and questioned whether there is a heaven. You are free to question your surrounding situations and circumstances anytime something feels a little off. Even if it's just to rule something out, ask those questions when you're having those gut feelings. Number two, like a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly, most of us are aware of our metamorphosis as we turn the pages in our life story. Even though she was only four years old when she found herself trapped in a cult, Sally still had that foundation of her early, early childhood to inform her that things were not fine. What can a look into your own past tell you about where you are right now? Number three, no matter how hopeless your situation may seem right now, it might be easier to get out than you think. After years of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse where Sally was gaslit by the cult's elders while her abusers simply denied it and were taken at their word, 
there came a point where she could basically just walk away. And it was over getting caught making out with her boyfriend, a perfectly normal thing for a 15-year-old to do. Number four, watch out for the negative patterns that might look like your values. Having been raised in an environment where all decisions about everything were made for her and then getting a taste of freedom, Sally actually thought it was a value to marry young and submit to a husband who would make all the decisions for her, like this was fine or something. Number five, the path to your own catharsis could be through relating your story to others. Sally finally acquired a vehicle to begin working on her dual traumas in a meaningful way by writing fictionalized stories about her experiences intended to help others caught in similar situations. Thanks for listening to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow and share it with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to help others discover it too. You can find links to my socials on my website, zenrabbit.com. And before you go, take a moment to reflect on what you're grateful for today. Remember, you have the power to create a life you love, and I'm proud of you. Thanks for joining me. Take care.